Shabbat Shalom. We welcome you. Good afternoon. We welcome you to the teaching ministry of Harlingen Messianic um, Assembly. Josh, I'm turning off the lapel mic because it's wanting to buzz. All right. So, um, if you would, we're going to teach from Deuteronomy, Devaim, Deuteronomy chapter 4 which is part of this week's parasha, parsha, portion, and so Deuteronomy chapter 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to do, so that you may live and go in and possess the land that Adonai, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add to to the word that I am commanding you, or take away from it in order to keep the mitzvot of Adonai your God, that I am commanding you. Your eyes have seen what Adonai did at Baal Peor. For Adonai your God has destroyed from among you everyone who followed Baal Peor. But you who held right to Adonai, don't turn me down too much, but you who held right to Adonai your God are alive today, all of you. See, just as Adonai, my God, commanded me, I have taught you statutes and ordinances to do in the land that you are about to enter to possess. You must keep them and do them, for it is your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there? that has God so near to them as Adonai our God is whenever we call on him? What great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances that are righteous, like all of this Torah that I am setting before you today? Only be watchful and watch over your soul closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and they slip from your heart all the days of your life. You are to make them known to your children and your children's children. The day that you stood before Adonai your God in Choreth, Adonai said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will make them hear my word so that they learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and so that they teach their children. You came near and stood at the bottom of the mountain while the mountain was blazing with fire up to the heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and fog. Adonai spoke to you from the midst of the fire, the sound of words you heard, but a form you did not see, only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to do, the ten words. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Adonai commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and ordinances so that you might do them in the land you are crossing over to possess. So be very watchful over your souls, since you saw no form on the day that Adonai spoke to you in Chorev, out of the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly. And make for yourselves a graven image in the likeness of any figure, the form of of a male or female, the form of any animal that is on the earth, the form of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the form of anything that creeps on the ground, the form of any fish that is in the water under the earth so that you do not lift up your eyes toward heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all heavenly hosts, and are drawn away and bow down and worship them. 
Adonai your God has allotted them to all people under the heavens. But you, Adonai, but you, Adonai, has taken, and he brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of, for his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, Adonai was angry with me because of your words, and he swore that I would not cross over the Jordan or enter the good land that Adonai your God has given you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I am not crossing over the Jordan, but you will cross over and take possession of that good land. Watch yourself so that you do not forget the covenant of Adonai your God, which he cut with you. And make for yourself a graven image in the form of anything that Adonai your God has forbidden you. For Adonai your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father, when you father children and children's children and have been in the land a long time, and you act corruptly and make a graven image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of Adonai your God, provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will certainly be carried off quickly from the land you are crossing over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days on it, for you will certainly be destroyed. Adonai will scatter you among the people, and you will be left few in number among the nations where Adonai will drive you. There you will serve man-made gods of wood and stone, which do not see or hear or eat or smell. But from there... You will seek Adonai your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to Adonai your God and listen to his voice. For Adonai your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your father that he swore to them. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Torah, for your instruction to us on how to live, how to, how to treat one another, and how we are supposed to be in relation with you. And so we ask that you would teach us this morning, Father. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand. Open our hearts to believe to be obedient children to our loving and merciful Father. Father, we just ask that you would bless us today and, and be upon us, Father, in these, in these days of testing and trying. And so we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer, the Imbu. So, how many of you have gotten in trouble and it wasn't your fault? Somebody got you in trouble. It particularly happens when we're young, right? And an older brother or sister or a younger brother or sister, they do something and you catch the blame. And that is 
kind of like what is happening here. And Moshe keeps poking them. You did. It's your fault. Because of what we read this morning, you see, he's not going to be able to go into the land. And he keeps throwing it up in their face. You got me in trouble. This is your fault. You got me in trouble. I had two brothers who liked to argue. They argued all the time. If one said it was black, the other said it was white. If one said it was hot, the other said it was cold. They would argue all the time. One of them was more quiet-spoken, and the other was more loud. Spoke more loudly. The one who was quiet was an instigator. He would say something quietly to perturb his brother. My parents would not hear the quiet instigation. They would only hear the loud response. And it was the loud response that was reprimanded. And the instigator, who got away with it, so he thought, would giggle. He took great delight. And this is much of what is going through with, in Moshe's mind. As my louder brother would complain that my parents were picking on him, were, you know, he was not alone in this. He was, he was put into this position by his quieter brother. So Moshe is complaining to the people, you put me in this position with God, and I'm not happy. When Moshe begins writing, begins speaking, Devarim, the words, Devarim means words. It's the title of this book because it is a repetition. Hello, it's a repetition of the Torah, of the instructions that God has given. He only has a month to live. He only has 30 days to live, and he knows it. Kind of like when the doctor would say to someone, God forbid, you need to get your affairs in order. You're not coming out of this alive. You've got 30, maybe 40 days. You have a couple of weeks. And that's all you have. And so it takes Moshe meeting with the people approximately 30 some days, 32 days, I believe, for him to go through Devarim, the words, the rehearsal, 
of all that they had been through before he goes up the mountain with Yehoshua to die. Also keep in mind that this was not the people who came out of Mitzrayim. This is a whole new generation. All those people are dead. The only ones still alive that came out of Egypt are Moshe, Yehoshua, and Caleb. Those are the only ones. Everybody else, they only heard the story. And so he's reminding them as he's getting ready to leave them how they should be. And this is probably my favorite passage of Torah. This is my favorite Parsha because of some of the instructions that he gives to us here. The first thing that I want you to look at this morning or this afternoon is verse 15. If you would look at verse 15, he says, be careful. Be watchful over your souls. You have a most precious treasure within you. A gift from God. And that is you. Your life. Your existence is a gift from Hashem. There was a time when virginity was something to be protected with all of your heart, with all of your life. Because for the wife to be, she was the greatest treasure for her husband. And her body was the ultimate gift in this physical life that she could give to him. For what is more precious than you? Than your life and than your body. What do you have that is more valuable than you yourself? Your house, your car, your bank account, the food you eat, the air you breathe, the water you drink. These aspects are there to help you to live and to, we can say, make your life more comfortable, make your life perhaps easier, but that is not who you are. That is not your life. 
You are your life. And you are the most valuable, the most precious gift that you can give to your spouse. And so the chastity of a virgin was guarded with all care. And the most shameful thing that a girl could do was to lose her virginity before her time. To either give it away or even if it was taken from her, it was considered to be a shameful thing. It was an embarrassment to the family. Why? What is so important about your virginity? You can only give it one time. Once you give away your virginity, you're no longer a virgin and you never get that opportunity back again. And so the family ensured, guarded, protected the young lady. You find this in Muslim countries even today. That a girl, a young lady, does not go outside the home by herself. She is protected and guarded. Her her either her father or her brothers, one of her brothers, must escort her everywhere she goes until she's married. I was thinking this morning, this was even true when Miss Wilma and I were dating. We have a family messenger page where my siblings and I get all get together and we chit-chat back and forth. This is how we keep in contact with each other. And a couple of my brothers were remembering when we, a few of us, lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, going to Bible college there and remembering different restaurants there. And one of them brought up that they were talking about how a lot of times up north, Mexican restaurants, what they call Mexican restaurants, don't do justice. Taco Bell. And uh, so they were discussing a couple of the restaurants, and one of the restaurants was at the foot of Lookout Mountain. That was the first restaurant date that Miss Wilma and I had. I took her to the, this Mexican restaurant because it was authentic. The owners were actually from Mexico. And they would lighten up on the spices for the white people. But for those who appreciated it, they would cook it authentically. 
And this last month in July, when we went up to North Carolina, we passed through Chattanooga so that the kids could see the old haunts where Miss Wilma and I dated. And we actually had a hotel room on the far side of Lookout Mountain. And the morning that we were going to leave, we drove up Lookout Mountain and we passed by where that restaurant had been. And it brought back a lot of memories. That was the first restaurant date. The thing about dating at the school we were going to was how expensive it was to date. Because when a young lady from the college went out on a date with a young man, she was required to take with her a chaperone. So when I took Miss Wilma to this, our first restaurant date, she brought with her a chaperone. So I did not pay for my meal and her meal. I paid for my meal and her meal and her meal. So I had to pay for three meals. Now you can imagine at today's expense of a good meal of about $20 in a restaurant, in a nice restaurant, about $20 times three. It took my whole month's paycheck. So that's why we rarely went out on dates. That's why we just walked around campus, because if we went off of campus, she had to have a chaperone. By the way, it's hard to whisper sweet nothings in your sweetheart's ear when you have a chaperone there listening in. There are certain topics that are just, you know, well, how's the weather today, you know? It's hard to get intimate even in conversation, when you have someone listening in. Be that kind of careful over your soul. A Jewish philosopher once said, If I do not stand for myself, who will stand for me? If you do not watch over your own soul, then who will? You need to set a guard over your heart and protect your heart like a father protects his virgin daughter. Shotgun in hand and all. Why? It is 
the only true gift that you have to offer to God. That's all you have. That is you. And you are the treasure. You're the treasure. And he has gone to great lengths to polish us and shape us and to make us beautiful like a diamond. Only so often to have us take that diamond and throw it down in the mud and stomp on it. Walk on it. You are the treasure. Be watchful over your souls. Because you are God's lover. There, there is a reason why you see the Torah associates idolatry with adultery. You can only have one. You can only have one. But here's an awesome thing. God knows you. He sees you and he knows you. But when I say he knows you, I don't mean he knows you like people out there may know you. He knows you like a husband and a wife know each other. Wilma and I, tomorrow is our 43rd anniversary. We've been married for 43 years. Mañana. We don't argue much anymore. We never did actually argue much, but we don't argue much. And the reason being, we're both deaf. So we just don't hear each other. She knows me. Like no other person in this world knows me, she knows me. She knows my likes 
and my dislikes. She knows what I appreciate and what I don't appreciate. She knows what she knows what will set me off. And she knows what will calm calm me down. And I must say that Hashem gave to me the perfect match, the perfect mate for who I am and who she is. She puts up with me like few people could put up with me. Because you see me here, but you don't see me over there. She knows the secrets. She knows the hidden things. She knows my mentalities, multiple. (laughs) Personalities, multiple. She knows my loves and she knows my hatreds. And she works to suit. She works to fit. She works for our benefit. Knowing what is there, she knows the river, you might say. She knows where the rocks are. She knows where where the eddies are. She knows where, where the ebb and flow is. She knows where the rapids are. She knows these things. And so she's maneuvering through life with me to help me get through. And that's what I love about her. She smooths the way in my life. I do not know what I would do without her. That is God in your life. That is the relationship that he has with you. He knows you so intimately. He knows everything about you. The Yeshua Mashiach said he even knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows you intimately. The way a husband knows a wife and a wife knows a husband. And yet, we find ourselves often being distracted. I was with a a friend of mine. I was with Craig yesterday. And uh, spent a couple of hours together. And uh, 
so I was late picking up the boys from work, and so I told Craig, I said, hey, go take me and let's go pick up the boys from work and take them home. So we did. He has a Jeep, and it was full of, he's an old surfer, fisher guy, you know, and so it's full of all his, all his stuff, towels and bathing suits and what have you, whatever, and the boys got in the in the jeep, and he said to him, "He says, uh, oh, Ed and I were headed down to the island. We weren't, but what are you gonna do down there?" I told the boys when they got out of the jeep, "Go tell mom that Craig and I are going down to the island to pick up some chicks." Yes. We're going fishing. Miss Wilma would laugh. In my in our old age, both of us have waddle necks and gray hair, and he doesn't have any hair and whatever, you know, and we can barely walk and get along, you know. What girl's going to be looking at us? Go tell Miss Wilma we're going to go pick up some chicks. That's 70s talk, by the way. We get distracted, you see. The way a man gets distracted from his wife by another woman who's improperly dressed. So we get distracted by the immodesty of this life and this world. That is the lusts of the flesh. Wanting this and wanting that and not being satisfied and not being content. Chasing after things. Chasing after the physical aspects of this life. And in effect, these things become our idols. These things become our gods. Moshe warned the people that God is a jealous God. He's a jealous husband. And he has a hot temper when he becomes jealous that you are, that you are showing too much attention to, as it were, the other woman, the other man. Be watchful over your souls, he says. But, You are going to fall. He knows you. He knows all about you. Not only does he know you and know all about you, but he knows your past, he knows your present, and he also sees your future. 
He knows it all. Look at verse 25, if you would. He says, when you have children and grandchildren, and you've been in the land for a long time. In other words, what he's saying is, you've gotten used to it. This is one of the dangers. It became dangerous for B'nai Israel, the children of Israel out in Bamidbari, out in the wilderness. It became dangerous for them because they became used to seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles. How many of you have ever said or ever thought, if God would just do a miracle for me? I believe. You know, if he would just, like, do some fantastic thing, I would believe. Yeshua did many miracles. They did not believe. Seeing miracles does not inspire faith. And one of the issues of the children of Israel in the wilderness is that they were daily witnessing miracles. Every day. So that that became normal life for them. And when it became normal, it was no longer strange. It was no longer a curiosity to them. They, they got used to it. So that it became to them the routine, the same old thing. So that they finally said to Moshe, Look, we're sick and tired of this manna. Give us something else to eat. What got Moshe in trouble with God is that one more time they come to him and complain, Moshe, we're out of water again. Where's that rock that was following us around? It was gushing out water. We got lost somewhere. Where'd it go? They had gotten so used to that rock following them around the wilderness, gushing out water everywhere they went. They're camped on the Jordan River, but they can't go down to the Jordan River and get their water. They're waiting for the rock to gush out water. Think about it.
we get so used to our, our husbands and our wives, and we get so used to the things that they do and how they are, that we begin to not notice. It becomes a data. You know, <clears throat> you youngsters need to be careful. Because the things that you see in another person, the things that you see in that guy or the things that you see in that girl that appear to you to be so cute now, in five years aren't going to be so cute. In fact, they're going to become downright annoying. The things that you can overlook now, they're just a little mustard seed. But mustard seeds grow into big trees. Let me also give you a piece of advice. Do not marry someone thinking you're going to change them. It's the biggest mistake that most people make. Oh, well, he loves me, and so he'll change for me. Oh, she loves me, and so she'll change for me. No. You're marrying what you are marrying. If you don't like it now, get used to it because unless something drastic happens, it doesn't change. You better love that person for who and what they are when you marry them. But saying that, God knows you're going to fall. You're going to fail. He knows it. He told them right here. When? Not if. I want you to look at it very carefully. When? Verse 25. Not if. When? Saying what? If is conditional. It might happen, it might not. But when says what? This is going to happen. You will do evil in the sight of Adonai, your God, provoking him to anger. You will not prolong your days. Adonai will scatter you. It's going to happen there. You will serve man-made gods of wood and stone. You will assimilate. It's going to happen. But from there, And this is, to me, a most unique and blessed promise. 
Listen to me. Wherever, wherever you may find yourself, you are never too far for God to get a hold of you. Wherever you find yourself. It does not matter how far away you have gone from Him. He knows where you are. David Hamilik, David the King, said this concerning God, where can I go to get away from you? If I go to the east, you are there. If I go to the west, you are there. If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. If I hide in a cave, you're there. If I go to the top of a mountain, you're there. Rav Shaul said that the love of God is so great that you can't go you, you you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't get around it. Why? Because God is the Ein Sof, He's everywhere. And we're living within him. As a preborn child lives within the pregnant mother. Does that how can that preborn child get away from the mother? You cannot escape God. But that's a good thing because if you cannot escape God, that means you cannot escape his love and you cannot escape his mercy. You cannot escape his grace. And as far away as you may go from him, you can still find him. Because you may have gone far away from him, but he is never far away from you. And you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. What is that? When you open up your eyes. So the prodigal son took his inheritance and he spent it all foolishly trying to buy friends and fame and trying to fill his lusts.
But when the money was gone, so were the friends. And so was the fame. And he found himself a beggar out on the street. And he was literally slopping hugs, unclean. And he was so starved that he was eating their slop. He was eating the trash that they ate. And he opened his eyes and saw his condition, saw his position, and he said to himself, what in the world am I doing here? Even my father's servants are treated better than this. I will return to my father and beg him just to be his servant. And he returns to his father, and his father is waiting for him there, watching, 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 watching. And when the son comes walking down the road, the father runs out to meet him, throws his arms around him, weeps over him calls for him to be bathed. They put the royal clothes back on and puts the royal signet back on his finger and throws a huge banquet for his son has returned. The father knew what was going to happen to the son, but the son was blinded. But when the son was willing to open up his eyes and see the truth, the father was there waiting for him. And so it is with you and me. When we will return home, when we will seek God with all of our heart and all of our soul, we will find him because he never left. He's always there. He's always there. Draw near to me, he said. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near to you. He's here. And he knows you're going to make mistakes and he knows you're going to stray and he knows you're going to be distracted in your eyes. Something's going to catch your eye. But God says this, watch. God says, I'm never giving up on you. And when you've had your fill, 
of filthiness to where you're vomiting out the sickness that it has created into you. Come back to me. Come back. And I will heal you. Now, don't misunderstand the grace of God. He's not giving you permission. God does not give you permission to go against this instruction. He just knows what's going to happen. But he's already planned for you to come back. And he's already created a way. I close with this. So yesterday, I got a phone call. The phone call was someone, an old friend of mine. Actually, a text message, but it was an old friend of mine wanting to be immersed. Not converting to Judaism per se, but coming to faith in the Messiah. He grew up in a Baptist church. As a young child, he had wanted to be baptized, but his father would not let him because he was too young. And he became, shall we say, rebellious a bit. He and his father didn't get along too much, and life happened. And now he's approaching his mid-70s. His wife just recently passed away. And so he got a hold of me, told me he wanted to to be immersed. So I went to his house and I was sitting there talking with him. First question I asked him. What brought this about? What brought the, what what are you thinking? What brought this about? He said it's time. That's all he said. It's time. Those are the words of Rafshaw. 
He said, it's high time that we awake out of our slumber. For the night is far past and the day is upon us. In which he shall appear. It's time. He doesn't need you. We sang it a little while ago. It is you that needs him. But he wants you. And oh, how he loves you. You are his precious treasure. You are that diamond. And all, all of this of life is to shape you and polish you into the perfect jewel of his possession. And he knows right where you are. Right where you are in your life, he knows exactly where you are. He knows where you are in relationship to him. You're not lost to him. He sees you, and he knows you, and he's waiting. He's waiting. So you haven't protected your soul so well. So your life's not everything that it should be. Well, How many of you here are still alive? If you don't raise your hand, it's questionable. How many of you here are still alive? I'm serious. How many of you here are still alive? If you are still alive, then you still have opportunity to do something about it. So long as your soul is still attached to your body, you have opportunity. Then do something. Don't sit there and let it fester. Perhaps this afternoon it would be good to go out and have a little talk with the creator of the universe and acknowledge him and acknowledge where you are in life and what's going on you know sometimes it's good for a husband and wife just to sit down and kind of discuss where they are in life one of the greatest issues of married life lack of communication They don't talk. And so the problems just fester until they become unbearable. There was a couple, husband and wife, they hadn't talked in 20 years.
Everybody knew they didn't talk. They didn't talk. Always walking around with scowls on their faces, never happy. They didn't talk. One day the neighbor came home and he heard them yelling and screaming at each other at the tops of their lungs. I mean, they were just going at it. And the neighbor said to his wife, well, at least they're talking. Don't let it fester with God. He knows where you are. And in spite of everything, he still loves you and he still cares for you. And he wants to restore the relationship. Make it right. Make it right. Avina Makino, our Father, our King. We thank you for your grace and your goodness and mercy. We thank you for loving us as a father loves a child. We thank you for feeding us as a shepherd feeds his flock. We thank you for your watch and your care over us, Father. And when we become distracted, because we see the neighbors have this or the neighbors have that, or because of what we watch on the television or what's going on at work, when the issues of life become heavy to us, Father, through relationships, finances, health. When we walk away discouraged and broken, when the plans of our life don't work out and we have to take a detour, Please remind us that you have promised you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you are always there, always present. And when we open our eyes and look around us and see where we are and acknowledge, when we return to you, As prodigal children, you, a loving, kind Father, are waiting for us with open arms. When we seek you with all of our heart and all of our soul, we will find you. I pray, Father, that you would help us and remind us to keep a watch over our soul to not let things in that ought not to be let in. To put up the guards and the fences that have been given to us by the elders to keep us 
not only from falling into the ditch, but far away from the sin. So that we not even think or consider those things. Put guards on our eyes that we would not be watching and seeing things we ought not, and on our ears that we would not be listening to things we ought not to be hearing because it brings impurity to us. That words ought not to be coming out of our mouth. Put guards on our tongue that we bless and not curse. Guards upon our heart that we love not the things of this world, but that we love you and you alone. May we be a light to the nation in all that we do. A light to our neighbors, a light to our family. And when we're alone, a light to ourselves. May we let our light shine. We ask this in the merit and through the name of Yeshua Mashiach, the Emru. Mm-hmm.